Hi, welcome to The Church Split. My name is Will, and you guys know what we do here. We talk about divisive topics in the church in a spirit of unity, hoping that you learn something biblical. So anyway, I would like to welcome you today, and I hope you guys are excited because we have a special guest with us today. We have Eric Swarzynski with the Preacher Boys podcast. So how you doing, Eric? Pretty good, man. I'm, a, I'm wiped out from uh, Idea Day the past few days. Uh, I haven't slept at all. The RFP guys kept me up. But uh, other than that, doing doing pretty good. From what I've gathered in their podcast, I don't think they sleep. Yeah, it, it's it's really bad. Like JC's up <laughs> when I'm going to bed. And uh, that's like three hours before him. So <laughs> I don't. Yeah. They're always like, yeah, we're texting each other all the time at two in the morning. I'm like, what do you guys do? So, yeah, I, I'm jealous. I wish I could have been an idea day with you, uh, but I had a baby and I use all my time off for that. So yeah, priorities. priorities. Exactly. So, uh, so anyway, Eric, thank you for coming on. And I know you interview so many people all the time on your channel and your podcast. And for those who haven't go subscribe to the preacher boys, if you haven't, and, uh, then also leave them a good uh, Apple review and all that good stuff. Go do all the things, all the social media things. If you guys don't know what you're doing, uh, with that, we can't help you. Okay. So anyway, uh, so Eric, uh, you do this whole Preacher Boys podcast, and you ex- you talk a lot about uh, uh, the abuse in the IFB, which for those of our listeners who don't know what that is yet, that's Independent Fundamental Baptist. And so you talk about a lot about that. You also have other guests on, uh, different authors, and it looks like you got some cool shows lined up here soon I'm excited about. Yeah. So anyway, uh, what about you? Who are you? If where did you come from? What was your background, and how did you come here? <laughs> yeah, no, I grew up in uh, Southern California, and um, you know my parents were staff at a Christian school, so I, I spent literally seven days a week on a church property, just an L-shaped building in the middle of Banning, California. Which, if people don't know where that is, it's about fifteen minutes from Palm Springs. Um, I grew up kind of dead, you know, dead center in between. Big Bear on one side, Idlewild up here, and then just desert. Um, and so, yeah, I, I grew up there. Um, you know, really, all my memories are in the Independent Baptist movement. Uh, it was a, it was a less restrictive church than maybe a lot of the shows that I do. A lot of the the topics I cover, um, but it definitely still had its its own little quirks and things like that. Um, but my, my family was really great. Like I, I told someone at idea day, like my family always taught me to think for myself. They always said, don't believe something because we believe it. Um, you know, we want you to understand why my, my dad's even said, he said that the hardest thing about raising me was that I always questioned everything, but he said <laughs> that was his favorite thing about me is that I never just took things at face value. Um, and, and my brother for, you know, had the opposite personality where he was very much like, okay, you told me now I'm going to do it, you know? And so there's, there's good and bad about both of those personalities. Um, cause sometimes you just need to <laughs> do what you're told. But, um, but I was always the personality of why do we do this? That seems dumb, you know, explain this to me cause I don't understand it. And, uh, I was really thankful. My parents gave me room to do that within reason. I mean, at the end of the day, you got to follow the rules that you've got in front of you. But for the most part, they were always open for conversation, dialogue, and uh, yeah, I was really happy, grew up in it. I mean, all my good memories are in that world. All my bad memories are. Mm-hmm. But I really didn't have a a moment where I questioned the movement itself until I was probably 16 or 17. Um, and I, I was starting to notice a couple things. Like one was there was a, a crazy push for me to follow this kind of pre-planned map for my life. So it was go to Bible college, you know, take this step, do this. 
and so that graded against me. But what really burst the bubble was there was a um, there was a youth pastor out of Chico, California, who had basically molested a 15 year old girl at his church, and his dad wow. basically moved him to our church and uh, just shuffled him over. Uh, told our pastor that you know they had a ministry dif- disagreement, and that was why he was moving him. Oh wow! Um, you know he took over sixth grade Sunday school. He started leading music. Um, he literally, I'm not, I'm not making this up. Uh, he literally would sing specials, and the song he always sang was "He Touched Me." And I, and oh, I, no, no. It, I swear what? to you, that was that was the that was the case. And so when I when I was uh, trying to figure out why he had moved down, I just googled his name. And the first three or four articles showed me who he was, what had happened. Um, you know, I had already known him previously, but but seeing that told me why he had come to the church. And it just kind of shook me and said, like, oh, this can happen within my safe movement. Like, we're the righteous city on a hill, but we've got this problem now. And uh, long story short, that sent me down a big rabbit trail, like looking up, who's Jack Hiles? <laughs> who's Jack Scott? Who's this person? And I started realizing it wasn't an anomaly. It seemed to be that uh, a church where this didn't happen was the anomaly in the movement. Wow. Yeah, that's that's crazy. You know, it, luckily for me in my church, I kind of grew up like you, where my church was like IFB light or diet IFB. Yeah. It was it had some of the tendencies, but not crazy. But they highly promoted different places like uh, Maranatha, Crown College, mm-hmm. things like that. I'm guessing because you're in California, that was was West Coast pretty. Yeah, I was in Southern California. So, and I would say we were probably most comparable to kind of the West Coast Lancaster atmosphere. Like it's it's very buttoned up but it's also like a little bit more chill when it comes to like, you know, watching movies at all, you know, and that kind of stuff. Like it, it wasn't, <laughs> exactly. it wasn't hyper, hyper restrictive. Okay. All right. So that is, so, um, that was like when you said you were out 16, 17, this took place. Mm-hmm. Okay. So then did you end up going to Bible college? No. So another long story short, I mean, I, I was registered to go to West coast. Um, by the time it was, it was time for me to go to college. I was already pretty burned out. Um, my relationships kind of started disintegrating, um, you know, just as a result of me being pretty vocal about this for <laughs> the last two years of my high school um, <laughs> career. And uh, then basically right before I was about to go to college, I was going to do my one year Bible, you know, which is their hook to get you there. Um, oh, yeah. You know, I was going to do that. And then I got a call from a, a guy that I had met at uh, summer camp, like, I mean, probably when I was 14 or 15. And uh, it was Daniel Ermler. I've had his brother Josh on the show. Uh, he, he does Idea Day now, actually. And uh, <laughs> anyway, Dan Ermler called me. He said, hey, what are you doing once you graduate? And I said, I'm going to West Coast. And he said, uh, would you rather go to India and shoot a documentary? And I said, <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> so Absolutely. I, right. And so after I, after I got into a pretty heated conversation with my, uh, my pastor about it and saying, like, hey, I'm going to do this instead, um, you know, I ended up going out to Fresno, California and literally within about, you know, two months of me graduating or three weeks to, to shoot a documentary and it was just awesome. And so I spent the next two years working their company and, uh, most of our clients were IFB. So I flew around the country. I literally shot videos for Neighborhood Bible Time, Master's Men. I shot videos at West Coast. I shot for uh, Awake America with Chuck Harding. Um, You know, I've worked all over the country in independent Baptist churches, large and small. And so even though I was kind of already mentally checked out of the movement, I was like, like locationally, like finding myself 
at all these different churches and getting kind of a, a buffet sampling of all the different stripes of that world. Oh, the, a buffet sampling. That's the first time I've ever heard that before. Um, yeah, this terminology right there. <laughs> it really actually kind of is. Good job. Um, sorry about that, everyone. We're having some issues with the video feed, so bear with us on the YouTube end. But anyway, so... Eric, you were just talking how you had basically traveled. So you didn't go to Bible college. It said you became like a videographer and you ended up helping right. film at all these different places, had your wonderful buffet sampling. And so this was, was it during that time when you're really traveling around with, that you started going, hmm, hmm, something's not sitting right? Because uh, you see all the stripes there. Yeah. You know, so I feel like during that time is something, something with that. Is that what was happening? Were you questioning things during that time more yeah. or was it just, I, I mean, to yeah, be honest, it was, it was more of a, a thing where by the time I got out of high school, I was pretty burnt out on, I, I and at the time I burnt out on church, like I would have just said church, like big C church and just <laughs> Christianity. I, I didn't go through a period where I was like, you know, do I believe in God? Like for me. I've talked with people on my show who've gone from, you know, literally from pastor to atheist. I never had that moment. I just, I've told people, I said, I could never honestly say that I, that I don't believe in God. Like it's too, it's too rooted in me. And I, I see it too clearly to unsee it. And it's called uh, <laughs> be a Christian, but I just, I just really, <laughs> you know, for me, it, I never had that point. I had the moments where I believed there and I didn't want anything to do with him and that I truly by the time I got out of high school, I was like, I do not want anything to do with this life. Like this is, it's duplicitous. It's, you know, I would have said that word then I would, it was two faced. It was fake. It was, it was the people who were the men of God weren't even legit about it. So why am I walking the aisle at all these conferences are speaking at? And uh, yeah, by the time I was getting ready to go to Bible college, it was my, my youth pastor, my pastor, my parents. And uh and so going into Fresno, I was excited about getting to get behind a camera. Like that's all I wanted to do since the time I was six years old is like, I want to shoot movies. I want to make documentaries. I want to, I want to make horror movies someday. I want to make, you know, all this kind of stuff. <laughs> and, uh, so I was like excited to actually work on, to get paid to make videos was like super cool. And, uh, honestly it was, it was once I got there church at the time, it's called Fresno church. Now, um, getting to go there. Um, I, it was like getting hit in the face with like the gospel really for the first time. And I just started saying like, people are talking about the Bible, not to show off, but like, because they're actually thinking about it in their day-to-day -day life. And people are talking about, you know, something that happened in their life, not to brag on it, but because it actually really means a lot to them, or they're talking about Jesus, not as like, Oh, look how cool my prayer sounds like they're saying it because like, Oh, they are experiencing this faith. And so I was pretty like I enjoyed the, the change of atmosphere, but I was pretty, pretty quiet. Uh, but then going to India, really, I mean, we talked to people and it just, it started, I started going like, man, more than this cultural kind of Christianity and this religiosity that we kind of grew up with. And um, yeah, so it, it was really, I understood the system was broken. Like I didn't need any more of a sampling to, to recognize. Um, but I would say that going and doing that and studying in Fresno at that church and going on this trip, you know, and seeing Christians who were in le like legitimately dangerous situations, being just faithful and believing this so strongly, that helped show me that there is something that does work. We just were missing out on it. And uh, I can expand on that a little bit, but it really pushed me to go like, what is the gospel? Because I've been in this for 
you know, 19, almost 20 years, and I don't get it. Wow. Okay. So I guess, so it was helpful for you then in many ways to travel around and do all those things. Yeah, it was really helpful. Um, more clearly, like, what is the issue? Um, and not just going like, oh, I don't like this or, or why is this? It's one thing to say like the music stuffy or you can't go to movie theaters. It's another thing to say like, oh, there's a certain attitude, uh, toward even other Christians that I'm not super comfortable with. Yeah, that was, I mean, that's one of those things that kind of kept popping out at me when I was in it too. So, uh, well, you said that, so you started seeing people with an actual experiential relationship with God, really looking to him and praying this whole great situation that you're going through. I'm a little jelly that you got to travel and get paid for it. Still, (laughs) I'm a little jelly about that. But, uh, so what? eventually let up. I mean, we're, I, I know you're, you know, you're married and all this stuff. Was this like roughly the time you met her and like, yeah, it, it's hard. It's hard to tell my story. Cause there are tendrils to it. I mean, I met my, I met my wife in high school. Um, she was, uh, oh, wow, okay. Yeah. So she was classic Christian story. Right. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I met her when I was in 10th grade. Um, and she was in eighth, I think, or ninth or no, she was in ninth. 11th or we're, she's a, she's two grades behind me or three grades. I don't remember, but anyway, we're, we're two years apart. Um, but, um, anyway, we, we were, we met there. I went off and did the internship and we were long distance. Really what happened was, um, I mean, we, we just kept dating throughout that. Um, you know, my, to kind of step, step back a little bit, like my, my understanding of kind of the gospel and Christianity kind of ramped up at the end of my last or my first year there in Fresno. And, uh, what happened was, and what what got me for myself was our pastor had said something in the sermon. Josh had said something in a sermon and and the verse, and I was sitting there work. And you know, when sometimes like something from a message just kind of sticks with your mind, you're like, what does that mean? Like that verse doesn't make any sense. I don't remember what it was, but I, I just Googled at my desk, like, Cause I didn't want to talk to anybody about it and be like, have a weird conversation. So like I was sitting at my desk and I just Googled what does whatever the reference was mean. And the first hit that came up for that verse was a article from Mars Hill church from, and it was a sermon from Mark Driscoll. And, and, um, I, I clicked play. I started listening and I was like, this guy's amazing. Like this guy's really interesting to listen to. And so I started just binging Mark Driscoll. I was literally listening like all day at work as I'm designing. I would like, like <laughs> I started ordering his books. The first book I ordered was religion saves and nine. And I just started going to stuff. And it's, you know, obviously there's a, a long, sad story there about his kind of ministry path and, and the way, you know, uh, pretty rough leader with his, with his church. And he was, he was pretty verbally mentally abusive in his own right. But I will say at the time, God used him in an incredible way in my life. The way people will say that certain IP pastors, like he used a broken stick to draw a straight line. <laughs> I mean, I, for me as a, as a just out of high school, like don't know what to do with Christianity. Don't know what he was exactly what I needed at that time. And, you know, kind of, it's funny now because like I listen, I'm like, man, he's so aggressive, like in person, but coming out of the IFB and oh, those conferences, was like, man, this guy's one of the most gracious speakers I've ever heard. <laughs> and so, 
um, you know, I was like, pastor who's like not a jerk. Finally, finally, there's a pastor who's like very peaceful, just like Jesus, you know, and, uh, <laughs> and listening to him was really funny, but it kind of set me down this, you know, road of like, okay, he just quoted John Calvin. He just quoted John MacArthur. He just quoted this person. And so I, everybody he would quote down in my, in my moleskin journal. Cause I'm, you know, like I just always am journaling with stuff. Then I was like, man, let me check this out. Let me check this out. And I mean, I really just, I mean, I, I signed up for Ligonier connect. I was listening to RC Sproul. I was listening. It was like, what is the holiness of God? What are the attributes of God? You know, literally like baseline elementary kind of theology. I was kind of just taking in for the first time. And, uh, anyway, yeah, that, that led to, uh, me deciding to quit that into, uh, kind of the missions kind of realm. And, uh, that's when me and my wife got married was, uh, literally, uh, about a month before we packed up. And so, <laughs> <laughs> Again, a lot of crazy, weird parts and a lot of mileage on in the last uh, last five years. So. Oh, I know the feeling. I mean, you're the one who told me the other day I look 34. So yeah, I'm, uh, apparently I, the... <laughs> I totally thought you were like a lot older than me. <laughs> so, but... nah. um, no, it's funny you say that because, uh, you know, with, with him, because I mean, one of the people when I was getting out of the IFB, the person, uh, when I first looked up, uh, like a sermon, uh, for some reason, I don't even remember what it was, but Ravi Zacharias popped up mm -hmm. and I heard him and I was like, Oh my goodness, this is so good. And right. of course it's so unfortunate what happened right. there because I guess you and I both have that whole, like, Oh man, yeah. uh, well, but God, like you, like I said, God is a, you know, very quick, a straight stick to draw a straight line. I, so I th that's a good way to put that. I'm good. I might steal that from you. And I, I stole it. I stole it from propagandists. So <laughs> you can, uh, you, can uh, you can credit him. But. Very nice. <laughs> so, okay. So you're, you do this and you said you went on missions. Like, was that part of your, vi like, wh what did yeah. you do with missions? That's new to uh, me. Uh, um, so yeah. So what happened was we, um, so I traveled a ton. I mean, I was at church and shooting, shooting video content. And like I said, my story is just bizarre. So like we ended up, um, I get, I got hired by this guy through pro church, um, to go out to the Dominican Republic and to Cuba and then to India. Um, but yeah, so I, I got to go to Cuba before the, it was a year before the embargo was lifted. So we went from the Dominican into Cuba and, um, Cuba, the rules for going there is like, it had to be tourist only and you had to go in from Dominican because literally American planes couldn't land in Cuba. Now that's how embargoes work, which I did not understand at the time. Um, and, uh, so anyway, so we went and I took a ton of gear, like, which was dumb. Um, and, and we were, we were just literally about to walk out of the airport and like three security guys pull us into this back room and they're going like, what are you doing here? And it's just me. So it's literally, I'm in one <laughs> section. I've got my, my friend uh, at the time I'm traveling with and uh, who, who hired me and he's asking me all these questions and they're taking out some equipment. They're writing out on papers, like, like all these metal tables. It was like super scared. I'm just sitting there and they're like, they're literally up in my face. Like, do you work with the church? Are you a missionary? Do you, are you here to film something? And I'm like, no. <laughs> and like, just, just totally going like just ballistic about all this stuff. And then my friend who was from Canada who had hired me comes in and they see his Canadian passport and they're literally like, they go and talk to each other. 
And while they walk away, my friend's like, yeah, that there's one guy who just brought in a ton of sound equipment. He literally was in prison for like 16 years. And I'm sitting there going like, oh my goodness, like I'm stuck. I'm, I'm not going to get let out of here. They came back. They started joking with him about Canada and let us both out. Oh. So literally because he was Canadian, they took it way easier on him. And they're like, oh, you guys are together. Okay. So it was literally because I was an American. I was like, I feel racially profiled. Right now. <laughs> but, um, so, so that was my scary moment. And I didn't understand, like, I knew Cuba was a communist country, but like, I literally texted my wife or girlfriend at the time, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to be landing in Cuba soon. I'll text you when I get there. And I was like, Oh, they don't have cell service here. Oh, they don't have internet here except for one building on the entire, like, and, and you have to plug into their wall. Like it's cut off from the world. And so like four days later, I was like, Hey babe, I'm, I'm good. Oh my <laughs> so gosh. It was, uh. Yeah, it was a How pretty did she crazy take thing. That? Was Cuba's she, was beautiful, she, like, though. Ticked? I don't think she understood. Like, I don't think either of us really understood like what it meant. But it, I mean, Cuba. All that aside, like Cuba's like one of the places I would love to revisit because it's actually really gorgeous. It's it's like frozen in time. It's it's really depressing, but visually, it's a very it's a very beautiful place, place to visit, but, but not um, a place to any, stay. <laughs> right, exactly. But uh, anyway, sir. Um, I, I could segue into all this, but we ended up going to India, worked with an orphanage there. And I, I did two of these trips with them. And on the second one, I was like, man, I feel like this is where I'm supposed to be. You know, like I, I, I just feel like I need to be helping with orphans. I want to be training leaders. I want to be equipping. It, they weren't like missionaries in the traditional sense. Like we talked about like holding the rope. So we go and help nationals that are already doing the work. And so um, anyway, so we went and um, I quit my job, my internship right before it was about to become a job to to become a, a missionary, essentially. And uh, I spent the next two years working uh, with the organization there. Um, and then we got married and we were like, we want to live in India. We want to work at the orphanage. I, I can do donor updates, take pictures of progress, things like that. And so I was making literally $500 a month when we got married. Oh, wow. um, we flew out to India uh, like a month later. Um, and we were there, we were planning on being there a year. Um, and I still actually have my, my visa still good. Um, we were going to be there as long as we could be there. And, uh, my wife got really sick, like the first weekend and w she was sick for the next three months. Um, we ended up getting pregnant, uh, in, yeah, in September or no, 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 in July, end of July, I think. And uh, we ended up having a miscarriage about eight weeks in um, because she was already really sick. Like there was a lot of issues and we were in this tiny little village. So, I mean, there was no, there was like one hospital, like an hour away that had like one light bulb that worked. I mean, it was pretty Oof. rough. And uh, so we were on a plane back after like three months, came back to the U.S. and uh, really scrambled to figure out what to do. And uh, anyway, the, the cap on this story is, and it's what I mean when I say I've really gotten a sample of everything we actually flew out to Virginia to be at the, what was the home church of the organization at the time. And, uh, you know, it was right during election season and there was a lot of stuff happening. It was like very just pro Trump or it was like very American Christianity again. Oh, the, and coming back to that stuff. after the mission field was pretty rough. And so I, I vocalized it, ended up getting fired, um, and oh. back to California oh, and, nice. uh, right after we got pregnant a second time. And so, uh, ended up having to go get a job doing marketing and, and go from there. But like, I, I, I mean it, like I grew up the mission, I grew up the, uh, ministry kid. 
I got to go through the high school experience. I got to go travel across the country and, and visit churches and ministries. And then I got to do a little bit of the ministry side. And uh, I got I feel like I got a pretty rough version of each of those things aside from the ministry kid perspective. So, um, yeah, I, I, that's what I mean when I say I've gotten a preview of everything. I've gotten yeah, a preview. Yeah, you have all the stars <laughs> and stripes. So, right. <laughs> Except you didn't go to Bible college. But you filmed that. Though. I didn't. That's the one thing that I haven't done, Man. and it's what makes me laugh though. When, when, um, you know, pastors give feedback of the show, and they say like, "Oh, well, you haven't seen, you know, you've only seen your church," or "Oh, you had a bad experience." I'm like, "No, man. Like, I, I, I was supported by like First Baptist of Hammond and and uh, North Valley Baptist Church dropped my support as a missionary. Like, I've had the letter that said because you have a beard and you're not wearing a tie to these Indian village churches, you're we're dropping support. Like." I've been around wow. the churches. I've been to Awake America. I've been to the conferences. I've shot interviews with like Chuck Harding and like some of these some of these guys. And I'm like, um, I've done I even some of the West Coast people that came to our church I, I've worked with and, and filmed videos with. And so I've gotten my uh, I've gotten my uh, my badges for all that stuff. That is I so you literally got drop support. Because you did not look like a pish posh Baptist American boy what? when you're in India where they're starving children. One hundred percent. That's a hundred percent true. Like we we have a. I, I don't I don't have the letter where they dropped our support. You lost me again. No, I'm just I'm sorry. I'm still oh. standing here in amazement. I'm sorry. Oh, okay. Shell shocked. Just you're good. I know it's um, an IFB thing, but when I hear it, it still just makes me both shocked. And angry, like whoever made that yeah. decision. This is uh, this well, maybe the one time I say this makes me want to throat punch him. Yeah, well, Jack Trieber, uh, Jack Trieber personally. I mean, he he dropped us, and then he sent a letter out to all of their missionaries, which we got a copy of, and I do have that. And uh, literally, I mean, it was very clear he was talking about us, um, and uh, he made it very very clear who he was uh, describing. But it was pretty, it was pretty rough. Um, yeah, I've gotten to see a little bit of a uh, little bit of everything. Wow, yeah, that's insane. I can't believe that. Yeah, actually, I can believe that. My my sister and brother in law were missionaries to the deaf, um, and they're no longer. But as soon as they shifted like certain things, they got all sorts of stuff. They had one person demand all their money back, all the money we've given mm. you over the last like two years, give it back, and they're like, um, no, that's a good scheme. Yeah, they're like, no, <laughs> and I'm like, that's a funny thing to call a gift. You know, a gift yeah. if you keep doing what I want you to do. Anyway, um, so. Okay, so you went through all of this, and that's just crazy. So you've definitely, you, yeah. when you said you put on mileage, you didn't mean just figuratively. You mean literally as well. You've done some literal yeah. miles. I mean, we've moved. We, we've been married now five years. I think we've moved four times. <laughs> so we've uh, we've put it on, and uh, I mean, we've done. Yeah, we've done some crazy some, stuff for sure. Kelly and I, uh, same thing. We were, yeah, in our first five years of marriage, we had moved four times. So yeah, I get that life. So okay. Then something happened. You started this thing you, you around 2019. I, I've, I'm just going to fast forward a little bit here. That's probably a lot we yeah. can talk about because I'm sure. Actually, you know what? I'm going to rewind a little bit before we jump to that. You had to go through what made you then finally, finally just snap and leave. Was it all that when you received all that yeah, garbage uh, from the last time that I w officially was involved was was when we were at that sending church um, and and I just told him, I was like, I just don't feel good about this. You know, um, I don't, I don't feel comfortable about where we're at. Um, and, uh, we ended up just leaving. That was kind of my last formal attendance of any kind of independent Baptist church. Um, I was already checked out theologically on a lot of stuff. Um, you know, like I was, 
I was, you know, five pointer. I was doing, you know, I was going checking all oh, those. You were boxes. like the that, that five pointer is like the Kelvin. I'm not the Kelvin. The IFB, like no, no. Yeah. yeah. So I, I mean, I was in that. I was in that realm. Um, and then, you know, the last thing that I ever did, last project I ever did with anyone in the IFB, was uh, in 2017. I think pretty recently. I just took a freelance job because I needed some cash. So I did a job for um, Awake America, which is uh, Chuck Harding's or was Chuck Harding's thing. Um, that's a whole other story, but but Chuck Harding. And uh, it was kind of there. They, they would go to the Capitol, meet with lawmakers. And it was this big kind of basically Baptist Republican convention kind of, kind of thing. Everything that I and, for. Uh, yeah. And I, I did that. And there was a, at the end of it, um, there was just some statements made and there were some situations that made me really uncomfortable. Um, you know, some of the jokes and stuff that like they were saying, like just when it was just me and like two or three other guys was kind of like weird. And then, um, but then during the preaching, there were just statements made about like, just, I mean, I mean like some of the phrases, like just when I thought we were going to have a woman president, God stepped in and like some of these kind of weird statements where I was like, I was like, let's, you know, let's just calm down a little bit and, and just some, <laughs> Um, you know, and just statements like one of the big things in one of the meetings was like, you know, well, I can't, you know, they're trying to push it so I can't carry a gun to church. And like, this is just persecution of the church. And I was like, it's not, you know, like th this isn't, you know, we can disagree on some of that stuff, but I, I was like, this isn't a religious attack. Like this is just people trying to figure out human solutions to human problems. Yeah, it's hard and, to call the gun issue a church issue <laughs> right and again i i have people i really respect on both sides of that i i'm very i mean i'm i'm very quote unquote liberal in that area and so like it, i def, definitely disagree but i don't think that there's some kind of christian answer to that like it's it's literally you know we're doing the best we can to figure out how to solve some of these problems and my big issue again is not so much which side of the aisle someone's on on some of that stuff it's it's spiritualizing it and making it where if you don't agree with me then we've got a, a severe problem and you know when i heard that stuff getting equated with like being religious liberty i was like that's not like that's let's not confuse those <laughs> two things so um anyway so that was the last time i got done with that and i was like i was like babe i'm not going to do anything else in that world um, I don't even want to think about the IFB and, uh, yeah, so that was kind of the end there. <laughs> Funny. I don't want to think about the IFB yet. Here you are. Here we are. Oh, so, all right. So you kind of snapped, you stepped away and you probably, uh, did you get like this involved in other kind of church, like just standard evangelical yeah, yeah, stuff, reformed church, whatever. Yeah. Southern Baptists, they were definitely reformed in their kind of theology. I mean, that's kind of the split in the SBC is you've got the more just traditional, which is pretty IFB. And then you've got your kind of more reformed, like JD Greer kind of crowd. Right. Um, you know, so I was kind of in that space. Um, you know, we went to a really good church and um, I really was just kind of radio silent on IFB stuff until the Sarah Jackson, Cameron Giovanelli story came out and um, people can Google that if they want to break it down. I've, I've broken it down on my own show. It's, it's a, Basically, same thing, abusive pastor, teenage girl. And uh, what really pushed me over the edge to talk about it again publicly, because um, I had blogged like once or twice just about vague things. But for me to actually really just say like, hey, this is a problem. Um, it was when Giovanelli pleaded guilty and there was a torrent of independent Baptist pastors still supporting him. And literally the, the final straw that kind of broke the camel's back for me 
was when I saw a pastor send out on church letterhead a request for people to donate to cover Cameron's legal fees. And, uh, and then Bob Gray senior was saying, um, you know, most, most, uh, most confessions that are made with a plea deal aren't, you know, can't be trusted because it's just part of bargaining. So, you know, and so he, they were still defending him as being innocent. And at that point I was literally in my car, I was driving home from work and I just said like, Hey everybody. And I did this seven minute rant about abuse in IFB churches, stuff I'd studied. And I called out like everyone that tweeted, one of which was one of the guys with Awake America, uh, one of the founders. And so I just went through the list. I said, if you're associated with Christian Law Association, Awake America, then you need to ask your pastor to drop support of those organizations. And if they won't, you need to leave your church. And uh, yeah, it was pretty aggressive. And uh, (laughs) the next night I cut together a little proof of concept thing for a documentary. Um, It blew up, like it had like a thousand views. People were sending me messages and uh, I had like 20 messages in my inbox. And I was like, this is way too big for one documentary. Um, (laughs) You know, I need to do a podcast and set up a podcast. And I was, I was booked out pretty quickly uh, with people wanting to share their story. So yeah, no kidding. Well, that's, that's kind of funny how that happened. This was like, so it's funny this moment where you just snapped and you're like, that's it. Yeah. I'm opening up the curtain. It's time to go after right. it. And so that's that's one of the things that um, I both admire about you and also go, wow, I don't know how he does it. Because it you talk to people a lot about the abusive experience by pastors and people who are supposed to be family mm-hmm. friends. And there's a lot of horrible things that you talk about. So when you did that, now, first off, are you still planning on making a documentary or are you just going to keep it the podcast? Yeah, I'm definitely still planning on uh, doing a documentary. I mean, COVID shut down a lot of it. And then my personal, my personal business really took a big hit in the beginning due to COVID. And so, um, you know, I, without saying how much I was making, I was making good enough money where I was just like, I'll fund it myself. I'll pay for my trips. I'll do, and I can get this knocked out in a few months. Um, and you know, in the beginning of the year, it was like, I got to pivot and I need to start figuring out how to do this. And so it's still there. I still know who I want to talk to. I've still got good connections and things and it will happen. Um, but it's been an increasing challenge of, you know, one, how am I going to do it? You know, when's that opportunity going to open up so clearly again? Uh, cause right now it is complicated. And then number two, um, you know, how am I going to do something that's going to match the impact of the show uh, that's currently out there? And so I am going to do it, um, but I want to do it right. And I want to make sure that, you know, it can match the level of what it, what's happening with the show, which is growing. I mean, the, the show's doing really well. So uh, to condense that into an hour and a half is going to be pretty tricky. Yeah, absolutely. So. You know, we, uh, yeah. And well, it's funny how with these shows, how they work, like they start off super slow and then they just kind of go and it's been, it's pretty cool. Right. But you, I think the reason why you just became like, uh, you know, you got you like that announcement got these huge hits and stuff. It's you are doing something that no one has done yet, because a lot of people, when they talk about sexual abuse, they look at the uh, Catholic Church or, you know, when there's like physical abuse, they look at these other obscure things, maybe even Islam or whatever. But they Mm -hmm. don't. But the Baptist Church is. People don't talk about that much. And so you're really kind of exposing this whole thing. And you and I were joking once before. You're like, oh, you get called Rachel Maddow. Why don't I get fun nicknames? And my first response was because they're scared of you, Eric. (laughs) Yeah. And I'll just be honest. The Preacher Boys does have a reputation of that. So what's that like? First off, so how do you – my first question is how do you handle it? Like is is it emotionally just – weighs on you? Are you able to just be able to digest it well and in a healthy manner? How does that work on your end? 
Yeah. I mean, I, I gotta be honest with you. Like the, it's, it, it's an ebb and flow, you know? So like I, I'm extremely empathetic and I, and I mean that in the sense of I, I absorb people's conversation and the, the feelings that they feel like if I, from the time I was a little kid, if I see somebody cry, like I usually start crying. Um, my wife was making fun of me. Like we watched soul recently and you know, I was literally the last I'm not even joking. The last 30 minutes, my, I was streaming tears, like the whole movie. Like I, I just, I absorb emotions like crazy. And, um, and, but when it comes to the podcast, it's the same thing that happens, um, when you're shooting. I, so I come from a video background. When you have a separation of a lens, you can see things that are pretty horrific. And I've seen things that are really horrific, uh, going to some of these countries and, um, literally, I mean, when you go to go to like India, I mean, you, you'll see in, in some of the parts I've been to, like where they're literally burning bodies out in the open and the streets are covered with lime and you're you're to cover the smell. I mean, it, it's it's horrifying, harrowing stuff, but seeing it through a lens makes it a lot easier, you know, and um, and I think it's I think part of it. I talked with an art therapist recently. I think part of it is because your creative energy kind of blocks out some of that. Mm. And you're worried about a shot and composition, uh, combat photographers talk about that. I'm not comparing myself to a combat photographer, but that same kind of separation. Um, so there is some of that, but, but I do still feel it. And so on the show, I've never broke down crying. I've never, you know, I, I feel what they're saying, but for me, there's always a delay. And so, um, you know, an hour after I do an interview, I might get hit with, what I just talked about. Mm. Um, all, all that to say it has been an ebb and flow. When I first started the show, it was, it was literally before I even record the first episode. Like when I started getting all those messages, it was like, man, this is going to be heavy. Um, but I was pretty good for a while. It wasn't till in March was the first time it ever really hit me. Like what was going on and how heavy this was. And so, um, you know, March, it was like a really, a really tricky period. I, I, I was just really depressed. Um, and literally like I was journaling, I was in Florida getting ready to launch another podcast with a friend of mine and we were going to launch this live show. We were launching it from stage, all this stuff. And I, I was literally riding in a bus on the way to the convention center. And I was just like, my wife read it a few months ago. She's like, man, it sounds like a suicide. note. I was like, it's not, it was not, but I said, it was just like, I was feeling heavy stuff. And I did well for, again, for a little bit. And then in summer, um, there was three huge cases that hit. I was dealing with about 10 or 11 victims who were like all in the middle of pretty crazy kind of legal battles, things like that. And, um, you know, I paused the show for about a month. Um, and so all that to say, though, I feel like now I'm in a, a spot where I've processed a lot of my own stuff. I've dealt with a lot of these topics. I've talked with some amazing people uh, like Claire Horner. She's a trauma therapist. Um, you know, she helped me kind of break down my week a little bit more. Um, and so I, I told my wife and I, I told a couple of people at idea summit uh, from recovering fundamentalist podcast this month feels like the healthiest month I've had in a long time. Mm. Um, and it, it's, it feels like I've come full circle on a lot of the things that were like, um, you know, open wounds for me have kind of closed up a little bit. Oh, good. Um, and so, yeah, so I, I mean, a lot of it was just, it wasn't that the show was, was hurting me because I'm like hearing people's stories. It was like, it would, it would like scratch at a scab that like I thought was, I was healed from, or that I thought wasn't a bother anymore. Like even the IFB in general, I was like, oh, I moved on past that. And then you start talking about it, like, man, that really hurt. But then once you talk about it, and it's out, then it can start healing mm. up. And so 
Um, yeah, I would say it's just been a process and the key for me now is just like, I structure my day where like, I don't do five interviews back to back, you know, <laughs> like I do, I, I take time for walks. I, I take time to step away and, um, it's not, it's not something I would recommend to everybody. It's, it's one of the reasons I waited to dive into this for so long. Um, but it's, I think long, like stepping way back and looking at the big picture, it's one of the most healing things that I've ever done. Um, and it's helped me deal with things literally that are, you know, have been under my skin for like 15 years or, or longer that I didn't know how to address. And so, um, yeah, that's kind of a long answer, but I mean, it's just been time and the discussion has been really healing. So, no, oh, absolutely. You know, I, I'm okay with you taking time to just answer the question because it's, it's not easy processing all this. I, uh, you know, that was kind of a thing with me with the church split as I, you probably, you already know this a little bit. It's like, I, I've experienced so much division in my life where I was tired of it. And I had this itch too. this, like this, these open wounds kind of, of just no one's addressing these things and no one's taking anything head on and they're all too scared and dancing around topics. So we're just going to go in, just jump in, kick in the door and hopefully we're correct when we do it. And if not, well, then we'll have to eat crow later, but someone's got to do it. So, um, so, okay. You, yeah, you do all that now. Granted this, how many, now, do you think this has helped a lot of people heal as well? Have you gotten a lot of encouraging messages? Yeah. I mean, it's been, I get a pretty amazing amount. Like, like I've told you, I'm surprised I don't get more hate than I get. Um, I get it. I, I definitely get it. But I, I more often than not, I mean, my inbox is always flooded with more messages than I can respond to. I mean, I'm getting, it's, it's crazy how many Instagram messages, Facebook messages, um, you know, email messages. I mean, I get emails constantly from people who just say like, Hey, uh, the the quickest way I can say it is like, so there's the show and, and 20% of the people I talk to end up on the show, you know, or, or 10% end up on the show and share their stories. And, um, but what people don't understand is, you know, I, I probably put over 40 hours a week into the show. Like, I don't think that's an exaggeration. Um, and in 80% of my conversations, 85% of my conversations, You'll never know that person's name. You'll never see them on a podcast. You'll never hear their story. But I've had people reach out who told me like horrific things that have happened where, you know, hey, I never have told anybody this. I've never even told like family, you know, I've never told, but I just want you to know because I know you understand like this is what happened. And, wow. um, you know, and, and really like I'm on the phone sometimes hours of the week just trying to get people like people will literally call me and say, Hey, this happened to me 25 years ago. You know, I don't know what the statute of limitations are. Can you help me try to figure out? And so it's, it's been really helpful for people. I'm putting a lot of time into like trying to get people. I I've, I've told people to reach out, like, I know you want to come on the show, but like, let's get you connected with this person first. Um, because a lot of people that reach out, I mean, it's literally by them hearing one person share their story, then all of a sudden they feel like, okay, now I can share mine or mine is worth telling to somebody. And, you know, the, the hard part for me is like, you know, I, again, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a 25 year old idiot. Like I, I tell people, <laughs> I'm like, I'm not, I'm not like Dr. Phil, you know what I mean? Like I literally, I mean, I, I'm, I'm figuring this out too. And so I've had to educate myself on what is the statute of limitations for certain areas? Who are some good trauma therapists? How do people find therapists? How do people find law enforcement? Will law enforcement take their case seriously? And luckily I've just been able to bring on a lot of experts who've been able to like help with that part of it. And, um, 
you know, all I can say that I've done is I, I built a platform. I come from a marketing background and a media <laughs> background. So that was relatively easy for me. Um, but I'm so thankful. I mean, I mentioned Claire Horner. She's a trauma therapist. I mentioned, uh, you know, surviving to thriving with Zach and Heather Knight. Um, they're, they're amazing with helping victims of domestic abuse and just filling my Rolodex or my contact book with just so many people to refer people to. I, 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 you know, the show is like 10% of what Preacher Boys is really doing. And mm -hmm. I'm, I'm really proud of just all of the, not, not, and again, not just what I'm doing, but like just all the people that have really helped with the show and given the answers that I'm not qualified to give. Now, and it's awesome that you, you recognize that. Like there was a, something in, in your Facebook discussion group that somebody recently was at talking about pastor qualifications, you know, for as counselors. And I'm like, well, biggest thing is that people need to understand when they're something's, you know, it's too deep. I can't do that. Mm -hmm. I can't address yeah. that. So I, there's people I could refer you to. So I think that's awesome, especially my channel is mostly theology uh, and addressing those things. And so, you know, that's, that's what I do is that I'll have usually a lot of like, you know, apologists, philosophers, things like that on, and then it allows me to refer people. So uh, I really appreciate right. that. I, 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 you know, the fact that so many, I, I mean, it's going to be really hard to give you a lot of negative feedback, I feel like, because if you give the guy who's trying to give people who've been victimized a platform and you try to go after that, yeah. you're just the jerk. And I think most people are intuitive, intuitive enough to know that. So, um, yeah. so do you think that there's a, a, you know, do you think that there's a point in time ever with abuse in certain situations? Do you think that, you know, you should always, they, that these people just always need to go in for the kill or do, are you at that guy who's like, no, it's okay to let some of these things live and let die. And where are you at with some of that? Cause certain Christians are like, oh no, forgive and forget every time. And other ones are like, mm -hmm. no, go in for the kill. Go get retribution. Yeah. So, is there? Do you, what? What are your thoughts on how you balance on, on some of those things? Because it's hard, I think, sometimes as Christians. Uh, some people are really big on, of course, just forgive and forget, which I think is just leads to irresponsibility. Yeah, I mean, I mean, look, I, I, it is. I mean, Christians, we talk about amazing grace, and you know, like like undeserved mercy, and we 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 say these phrases and. I believe those things. Mm -hmm. Like I'm, I, contrary to what some pastors I think on Twitter would, <laughs> would say, you know, I am a, I'm a believer myself. I am a, I'm a Christian, I'm a very Orthodox Christian. Um, and you know, I, I, I believe in that. And I believe that God can save murderers and child molesters. And I, I, I truly do believe that. Um, but I will also say too, uh, the Bible gives a lot of warnings. Um, I just had Jimmy Hinton on, who actually reported his own father um, for for abuse, and he's a, he's an amazing. He's a pastor in the Church of Christ, and he he talks about. He says, it, it, the Bible gives a lot of warnings about hanging out with people who are deceitful, mm. and uh, even even Christians who are deceitful. Like like you're supposed to distance yourself from them. You're supposed to be be very careful and. The reality is, like, the science backs it up, the psychology backs it up, the people who, you know, stepping back from just, like, beating kids, I mean, when we're talking pedophiles, we're talking people who, who sexually abuse, um, the, the amount of deceit and manipulation, the grooming, whatever you want to call it, is immense. Mm -hmm. um, and you've got, you've got people who are literally standing in the pulpit many cases and presenting themselves to be one thing while also living this entire life that's orchestrated that and this is the part that people need to understand when you when you have an affair and you get too close with another adult and something happens or you say something that steps over a line 
that's one thing. And that's, that's also something that pastors shouldn't be doing and they shouldn't be in ministry when that kind of thing is happening. But when you're in a situation where you many times put yourself in that position for the purpose of getting access to children Mm. or to teenagers, when you put yourself in a position where you're, you're grooming, not just the victim, but parents, other pastors, like your entire congregation, the level of deceit that that takes is immense and you have to be very good at it. Mm -hmm. And so just like I would say, you know, at a certain point, you just have to say if they could do it, then what's to stop them from doing it again. And at what point do you take it at face value that there's been some legitimate change? Because you really can't, you, you can't identify what, what's the fruit of repentance from, you know, pedophilia is that you're not touching children, you know, like you, you can't <laughs> yeah. identify what that is. And so like there are opportunities for those people to accept Christ. Um, you know, I haven't seen many people who've committed those crimes be truly repentant and mm-hmm. forthcoming. I really would encourage people um, when it comes out to check out Jimmy Hinton's interview with me where we dive into this, but I'll, I'll just say this. I think that there's a lot of opportunities for people like this to be ministered to without giving them access to pray again. And I would say the same thing for someone who steals money. You're not going to make them the church treasurer. You know, you're going to distance them from opportunity to yeah, do that again. Them. Okay. They have and, a temptation. Distance them from yeah, the, all those things. You have to put safeguards, yep. you know, um, I read one article that recommended that there should be home group Bible studies for guys who have done this stuff to just meet with themselves and, you know, a pastor there privately. I think that's a great option. Um, but again, I mean, you have to, the amount of deceit that's there. I mean, do you want to be the person to say like, Oh, I trust them now. Yeah, exactly. Like I trust that you don't want to do that. And, um, it, it really is. And also I'll just give one real world example. The, the recidivism rate increases after 15 years, but I think it's 20%. Um, someone will probably fact check and be like, Oh, it's 19. It's a, it's a good amount. It, it, it increases. And so there was a pastor I just posted about on my page who first preyed on a a child, a a seven-year-old, back in 1964. And he just confessed to a second victim that he abused in 2019. So you've got a 50-plus year gap. Nothing changed. Mm. He was a pastor during all that time and ended up doing it again. And so um, it's just not worth the risk, kids. It's not worth the risk of, of people being sexually abused again. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what always sticks out to me in my mind. It's like, well, it's not the fact that we just want to, you know, never give anyone learn to have grace at all. No, it's just these people, when you do this, especially as a pastor, okay, you're the pastor, you're supposed to be a blameless and above reproach. You know what your job is. And then, but behind the scenes, you're living a double life and it's intentional at that point. Mm-hmm. Like I said, it's not like an adult, you're with an adult, you talk, get too close, something happens, you know, you fall into a moment of temptation, which is also bad, but yeah. this is a living a full double life. And so, and know, many think, get into those positions to do that. Exactly. Like there are people that go to seminary, will go to four years of Bible college to get into a position to do that. That's how far down the road it can get. Exactly. So that's, that's what sticks out. And I mean, I don't, you know, I'm sure you get the accusation of, oh, you know, you just don't want anyone to forgive and move on. It's like, no, it's not that it's also, uh, your show a lot of times isn't just go. I mean, I know you've definitely, uh, helped expose certain individuals and they're going to see some time most likely because of what preacher voice did, which man, by by the way, good for you. But uh, you know, a lot of times your show is about people, honestly, just healing. 
yeah. from it. Well, it really well, is more about that. Yeah, Kathy uh, Durbin was just on my show. I believe it was her interview, but she said, you know, victims are given a life sentence. Like the amount of trauma mm-hmm. that you receive out of these situations, like you don't, don't get a one year of trauma and then it's done. Like, like you're, you're, it's a life sentence. Like you are going to suffer in one way or another from this event, sometimes sometimes mentally, sometimes both for the rest of your life. And so when you see guys getting 60 days in jail and then probation and not having to register as an offender and like, it's just not fair to the victims. Like that's not justice. And I think biblically, you know, as Christians, you know, we serve a God who demands justice. And so Mm -hmm. I think you have to look at these situations and say like, what does that look like? Like, how do you seek justice in a case like this? Right. No, that's, that's a good point. You know, that's a good way to put that because yeah, they do. And, you know, I've talked to my dad about this. We've uh, all, all the abuse we experienced growing up and, you know, my dad, he, he, he talks about regularly how he relives some of the trauma that he, you know, cause of all the abuse he went through as a kid, then, you know, some of the things that re- that repeated uh, in the home and, you know, is just, yeah. And so sometimes it's just, yeah, we talk about it. And sometimes I think even my wife, she doesn't always understand it. Like, she's like, you know, you guys are going to talk about that stuff a lot. I'm like, yeah, it's kind of our, I think our coping mechanism, mm-hmm. you know, we talk about it because it no longer has power over us. Right. But, you know, so we talk about it to heal from it. And so, you know, I, I think that's good. I, th- I love what you're doing. It's a powerful ministry, man. I, I honestly, what you're doing is also, it takes guts. So that's what I, t- <laughs> I also told my wife before this interview, I was like, man, I was like, Eric's got guts, man. He's, he's not afraid to go into the, the, uh, the dirt and the grime of it all and, you know, get after it. You know, you're not afraid to pursue justice. Oh, I get afraid for sure. <laughs> <laughs> So I've, I've had some things I posted that I'm like, I get that not myself. It, it's definitely, uh, maybe it looks easier than it is, but, um, but yeah, but, but, uh, but you do it. It's you know, at a, certain point too, at a certain point too, though, you, you start weighing out you're just like, what am I like this guy? It, we have to say this, you know what I mean? Like, and, mm-hmm. and for some guys like, like with Goddard, like Bruce Goddard out of Wildemar, um, you know, he's, he's got now like seven victims that have come out of his church over his ministry. I mean, at a certain point, it's, it, it's pretty easy to say like, okay, Bruce Goddard's got a problem, you know, mm-hmm. or, or Jack Kyles or Jack Treber or, you know, film any major leader in the movement. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, yeah, I just, yeah, I mean, but that's that's what courage is, right? Courage is even though you do the right thing, even though you might be scared. And right. so I think that's a powerful thing. I think it's a great message. So real quick, before we close this up, I always ask everyone the same question, and which yours, I think, is a pretty easy way to answer, And uh, it's, which is we're, we at the church split are all about uniting the divided body through truth. Mm-hmm. So if it's true, uh, it should unite us. Uh, we shouldn't divide over truth. So what do you think... And how do you think the Preacher Boys podcast can help unite the divided body with? Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a good question, um, because I think there's a lot of people who um, there's a lot of people who would say what I do is divisive. You know, I think they would say that I'm I'm going after, you know, why are you going after churches? Why are you going after people who are, you know, in some cases dead, you know, and say, like, why? What is that? Or why can't victims move on? I think the key to that is you kind of alluded to the idea of being united in truth. And, um, you know, without, without truth, you, there can't be unity. You know, you've got to, you've got to know exactly what's happening. You got to know and know where the people across from you stand to know where you can be unified. And 
I, I, I think, I think the reality is of what I try to do and, and what I hope helps bring some unity is one unity to survivors who've been hurt by churches. They can know like, Hey, there's other people who are like you, but also I think there needs to be a line drawn in the sand. And we talk about the independent Baptist movement. IFP pastors will give up unity over a lot of stupid things. Um, <laughs> you know, they'll give up unity over suits and ties and carpet color and pews versus chairs and all things <laughs> that I've heard people get really flustered. I've heard people go crazy about those things. And the reality is like, I don't think those things necessitate that. I don't even think many of the theological things that they do necessitate that, but I think it's time for the church to draw a line in the sand and say, if you are someone who is a Bruce Goddard, who is going to conceal abuse, if you're a Jack Treber, who's going to, um, you know, not talk about abuse. If you're going to be one of these people, you're not one of us. Like you are not, th this isn't what the church is. It's not what it was supposed to be. It's not what mm. uh, a leader in the church is supposed to be. And so again, if we're going to unite on anything, it should be that church should be a safe place for kids to be and women mm -hmm. to be. And if it's not, I, I hesitate to call it a church. <laughs> you know, I hesitate to say that what you're doing is a biblical representation of what the church is. And so, um, you know, I, is what I do divisive? Um, I mean, it depends on what you're, what you think I'm dividing. Like if I'm dividing pedophiles from the church, I'm okay with being a little bit divisive. <laughs> um, but I, I, but I also hope too, that we'll see a lot of unity between pastors. You know, I've had IFB pastors reach out to me and say like, Hey, I don't agree with you on 90% of, of what you say, but I agree abuse is a problem. And my response is always when I get off the phone with someone who tells me something like that, that's great. I'm never going to feature on the podcast because we disagree about music. Like that's not what I'm worried about. Yeah. And, um, and so I hope there's some kind of sense of unity and I hope it, it's one of the most encouraging things to me ever that happens is when an IFP pastor says, hey, I don't agree with you on all of these random positions, but I agree with you that abuse is an issue because that's a great place to start. Like, let's let's just start there and be unified in protecting <laughs> kids. Yeah. And uh, I think we can do a lot there. Uh, so. Yeah, I absolutely. And that's actually what stuck out. I'm like, well, it, what, if it's obvious. I mean, yeah, people might think that you're all shock and awe, right? And you're in there just trying to divide right. and destroy churches. But that's not what it is. What yeah. it is is, no, we're exposing truth, and this is an ugly truth, and it has right. to be confronted. And you know what? That the, the abuser will never heal and get better if he does, if he's a, continue to live a double life. And especially the victims will never be able to heal <laughs> as long as, you know, he's, he's living a double life. Or, you know, it's not even talked about at all. And then, uh, you know, and you're, then you're also saving other people from being yeah. hurt and abused. Well, and I'll, I'll just say this too, because I meant to, I meant to say it earlier, but there's never just one victim. It's, it's incredible how rare mm -hmm. it is that there's one. I mentioned unity over like having this shared experience. It's a tragic thing. Like survivor community is not a club people beg to get into. Um, <laughs> but I, I really do, um, you know, there, there, there's rarely one. And so when, when someone comes forward about abuse or when a pastor is pulled out of the ministry because of abuse, you know, there's, there's often many more that you don't see. And, um, by exposing it, you're sending, you're, you're shooting a flare up in the sky and letting other victims know it's okay to come forward. It's okay to share their story and that the church is here for you and not the abuser. Um, that's why you see when something happens, like with Ravi Zacharias, you mentioned him, mm -hmm. that it, it, it pulled the bandaid off. And now mm -hmm. there's many people 
coming forward who have no are coming forward anonymously. And, um, you know, it, it's really important to give that opportunity in that platform. And, uh, you know, I, I'll end with this because it shocked me when I read it, but I, I did an interview with Kelly Palfi. She wrote Men Too, Don't Report Sexual Abuse. And they broke a pe- they busted a, a pedophile ring in the U.S. It was a joint effort with the U.S. government and the Ca- Royal Canadian Mounted Police. And when they asked, you know, they they pulled like a hundred and I think it was, I think it was four hundred pedophiles or something. It was a large number. And on average, they had a hundred and fifty victims each. Wow. Um, the average was a hundred and fifty each. And I, and I, I misread the quote when I read the book. And when she said she said it was per individual pedophile. I mean, that's a shocking, shocking number. And so wow. uh, again, not everybody has that much behind them, but, but I would say it's pretty safe to say statistically most offend more than once. And so the quicker you can remove that from the body, the quicker you can remove that from a group, um, you know, the better and the safer and odds aren't going down that you're, you're going to save one more chance literally could be in the dozens of children who get abused so well growing up i mean we helped with uh foster systems when i I did a lot of training in that and uh you know they said on average for every one child victim there was eight others that no one knew about so yeah um i mean yeah these that those numbers are crazy but eric i just want to let you know that you know uh you know, we appreciate what you're doing. Uh, I don't think what you're doing is, is an easy thing, but I think it's a courageous thing. And I want you to keep staying the course. I love the fact that you're also willing to have any conversation with anyone on your platform. You had a sure. conversation with a from a pastor to an atheist. And you don't shut those conversations down because part of, uh, in order to minister to people, you have to have dialogue with people. So uh, whether people want to call, call, label you poorly for that, that's on them. But I really appreciate you coming on the show, man. Is there anything you wanted to add at the end? No, I think that's pretty much it. I mean, I would say, um, you know, just obviously head over and check out the, uh, the podcast and, uh, it is, it really is a, a mix of people. I, I know you read some of my one star reviews. Um, I, I really do. I, it, my, my show is about abuse. So I've had people on who you probably will agree with. You'll disagree with. I've had people on, I disagree with vehemently on a host of issues, <laughs> but the goal is exposing abuse. And, um, I'll, I'll just say one thing in case there is a pastor listening to the show, which I'm sure it's probably a large amount of your audience's ministry or pastors. This isn't a, an attack on Christianity. Um, you know, one of the reasons uh, that I'm so upset with abuse in the church is because I'm a Christian myself. I have a mm-hmm. three-year-old daughter who I'm terrified. Like I will never put my daughter in a church nursery. Um, you know, and I, and that makes me really sad. You know, I, some of my best memories are in kids ministries at churches. Um, and it, it hurts me a lot that I don't feel comfortable putting my own daughter into some of those same experiences, you know? And, um, so I'll, I'll just say that. And, uh, you know, same with the IFB, you know, the reason that it hurts so much that the IFB is so broken is that all of my good and bad memories come from that world. Mm. Um, and so, just know I'm coming at this from a, a sincere place. And, and, uh, you know, if you're a pastor and you're like wondering why I do what I do and you don't want to publicly ask, um, you know, hit me in the DMS. We'll have a <laughs> off the record conversation. I've talked to some pretty, uh, interesting folks from every end of the spectrum, uh, when it comes to church ministry and, uh, you won't see me ever posting one of our conversations publicly unless it's like <laughs> literally a threat or a confession of some <laughs> totally illegal activity. But anything you want to ask, I mean, I've literally had people reach out to say, I don't like you, but hey, can you give me some resources about abuse? 
reviews and uh, I've mailed off books and stuff. So I'm, I'm pretty, uh, pretty easy to talk to in that regard. So. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, for Eric. And if people haven't already, go and like and subscribe to The Preacher Boys and follow him on all social media. And then you'll get to see every episode that drops. Not all of it is depressing. He actually sometimes has really good people, really good advice. So check it out. And also maybe consider being a Patreon of his, especially to help fund his uh, documentary yeah. and all this stuff. I think it'd be great. I'd love to see that come out. Eric, thank you so much for being on. And guys... Thank you for tuning in to The Church Split. We'll have more episodes coming to you soon.